Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he'd been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord... They returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Well, here we are then, uh, the end of uh, 2019, almost, uh, the beginning of 2020, almost. Uh, it's a funny, sort of funny period, isn't it? We've been charging around, getting ready for Christmas, doing all that thing, all the family thing, and then there's this kind of lull before it all begins again. And uh, I don't know about you, but um, I reckon this is that moment when you begin to sort of reflect on the past, the past year, look forward, ahead. It's certainly um, the time when um, you know, newspaper columnists love to speculate about the year ahead. Don't they? You know, sort of politically, economically, what's going to happen? I'm not going to mention Brexit. It's okay, but that's going to be a lot of that in the news, in the newspapers, in the next uh, few uh, days or so. It's the time um, when journalists write articles that, um, you know, that sort of dream dreams of a better, safer world, um, setting before us perhaps some challenges. You know, are we finally going to embrace the problem of, of climate change? What are we going to do about? Um, uh, world terrorism, you know, those sorts of things. And, of course, it is that time of the year when many people consider their own personal New Year's resolutions. Uh, I don't know what it is. Loads of people are going to exercise more or be more disciplined, maybe achieve something that they've, they've want, wanted to achieve. I'm going to do it this year. Uh, hoping for health, wishing for wealth, you know, thinking about the stock market or the property market, considering our career, weighing up pay and prospects, you know, all that sort of thing. Now, having said that, I'm very aware that not everyone likes New Year's resolutions. In fact, I have a friend who every year says, 
I've made one New Year's resolution, that is never to make another New Year's resolution in my life. He says it every year. It's, uh, it's not funny anymore, but uh, anyway. You might be like that. You know, I don't really like New Year's resolutions. Now, just humour me for a moment, if you're like that, and uh, let me ask you to throw your mind into the months ahead and to try and capture what you'd love the future to look like, whether it be this year or further ahead. What would you like the future to look like? Can you do that with me just for the next 10 or 15 seconds? Got something in your mind? Yeah, still with me? Drifting off. Now, I hope you can just hang on to that thought because in the next 15 minutes or so, I'm going to see if our hopes and dreams are, as Christians, are as big as they should be. Or whether actually these dreams that you've got in your mind are actually too small. Are they as biblical as they should be? Or are they sort of driven by something else? Now look, as we come to Luke chapter two, we meet two people who had very high hopes for the new year, Simeon and Anna. It was just a few days after the birth of Christ, uh, which is why I thought this would be a good passage to look at today. Uh, Actually, 40 days it was, uh, to be precise. That's what uh, we read in Luke two. And um, if you and I had been alive back then, you know, back when Jesus was born, but a few days afterwards. Um, and if we'd been in Jerusalem, we might well have bumped into Simeon. And the conversation might have gone like this. Hi, Simeon. Had a good Christmas? Well, actually, we probably wouldn't have said that, but anyway, you're with me. Are you looking forward to the new year? And he'd have replied, verse 25, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the new year. I'm waiting for the consolation of Israel. You know, I'm waiting for Israel to be consoled, to be comforted. And then he'd have said, I'm hoping that this year will be the year that I meet the Messiah. Because you see, in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ, the the Lord's Messiah. You see what's going on here? Simeon was longing for better times in Israel, and he knew that those better times would come through the Messiah coming. Those were not two things he was longing for, but one. When the Messiah comes, everything's going to be better. Israel was in the doldrums. You can get that. I want Israel to be consoled. You know, he wanted comfort for Israel. Israel was in the doldrums. Um, I don't know whether it was in the doldrums economically or or, or socially. It might well have done. But it was spiritually down in the dumps. It had been for years. And yet there were some godly people like Simeon, and we'll meet another one, Anna, in a moment, who were, verse 25, righteous and devout And um, it really bothered them to see Israel in the state they're in. They lamented the spiritual state of the nation. It grieved Simeon that there was so little concern for the things of the Lord, even among God's people. It grieved him that standards were slipping in society. It grieved him how immoral the country was becoming. Now, put like that, doesn't that sound a little bit like, like Britain in 2019? Moral decline... I wouldn't be at all surprised if um, some of us, maybe a lot of us, look back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, depending how old we are, and we go, you know, this nation is really in a a state, in a bad state. And you think about the morals and you think, how do we get like this? And, um, you know, just things like common decency and good manners. Everybody seems to be so angry. Didn't used to be like that. We've got to be careful when we look back. It was, ne- you know, the good old days were never that good. But we might well look and go, you know, it seems to be worse. 
And of course, we can certainly look back and say spiritual decline. I mean, you look around at churches and most of them don't have many people in them, but they were built for more people to be in them. I mean, that was the whole point. And now you go and there's, you know, 25, 30, 35 people. Um, the average size of a church, a Church of England church, in, um, in this diocese, so that's sort of Sheffield, Rotherham, Doncaster, 35 people. Uh, so this is unusual. And you look around at Britain, you think it's in the doldrums spiritually. Now Israel then was spiritually depressed and Simeon longed for the day, indeed he was waiting for the day when, verse 25, Israel would be comforted, would be consoled. But this was no kind of pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking from Simeon. Simeon, when he thought these, dreamed these dreams and thought these thoughts, wasn't trying to escape reality. Simeon wasn't a first century John Lennon, if I can put it like that, you know, imagining, imagining a world that will never come to pass, which is what Lennon does. No, no. Simeon looked forward to a day when Israel would be consoled because he knew that the Lord had promised that that day would come. Simeon's hopes were rooted in the scriptures. Now, time doesn't permit me to go through it with you now, but there are clear parallels between Luke chapter 2 and Isaiah 52. If when you get home you read Isaiah 52, you'll see all the promises on Isaiah 52, and then you read through Luke 2, and you'll see these parallels again and again. This is a kind of fulfillment of that promise. And the point of that is that um, when you see in Isaiah 52, you'll see that um, it was all about a spiritual awakening in God's holy city, Jerusalem. A time when God's people would be free. And at the time, of course, they weren't free. They were uh, captive to, um, to, uh, to the Romans. Um, a time when Israel would be redeemed, brought back, paid for by a great price. When the Lord's name would be honoured. And that's what Simeon longed for. Not wishful thinking, not dreaming dreams that would never come to pass. Longing shaped by the Bible, his New Year's hopes and dreams were directed and driven by biblical prophecy. And because Simeon knew the Lord kept his promises always, he knew that this particular promise that had been made to him, that he would see the Christ, was also going to happen one time. And he longed for it to be this year. That was Simeon's New Year's hopes. And then there's Anna. Now, if we'd been alive 2,000 years ago, and in Jerusalem, we wouldn't have had any problem finding Anna. You wouldn't have to kind of look around Jerusalem and think, am I going to bump into her like you would with Simeon? Oh, no, you'd know exactly where Anna was because she was always in the same place and had been for years. She never left the temple. That's what it says in verse 37. Let me read from verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. So she never left the temple. You notice how old she was? It says in verse 37, uh, she was a widow until she was, uh, sorry, she was married for seven, seven years. Then she was a widow until she was 84. But the NIV footnote um, says that she um, had been a widow for 84 years, which I think is the version I prefer. Widow for 84 years, been married seven years, uh, 91. How, how old was she when she got married? I don't know, should we say 16? Real, real child bride? 107. Wow, 107-year-old Anna. 
This wizened, dear old lady had been sitting in the temple, fasting and praying for as long as anyone could remember. I don't suppose there were many 108-year-olds. So most people had only ever known. Every time they went to the temple, there was Anna, getting older and older, always fasting and praying. So it'd be easy to find Anna. And if we went to the temple 2,000 years ago and asked Anna about her New Year's resolution, she would say, well, dear... Well, I don't suppose she'd have said it exactly like that, but she might have done. Well, dear, it's the same as it has been for the last 84 years. See, verse 37, I'm resolved to stay in the temple day and night, worshipping the Lord and fasting and praying, asking the Lord to bring about the redemption of of Jerusalem, end of verse 38. That was her New Year's hope. It was a new year, but it was the same old hope. I want to see the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, in short, Simeon and Anna had one-track minds. They wanted Israel consoled through the redemption of Jerusalem. And they knew that that day would come through the promised Messiah. That's what they lived for. It's what they dreamed about. I can just imagine throughout the year, if you, um, if you came across Simeon or Anna uh, in the temple, Anna or somewhere else, Simeon, but sometimes in the temple, wherever you saw them, you might have found them from time to time just sort of just dreaming, daydreaming, looking up into the sky. and You know, because they were old, you probably think, oh, well, they're off with the fairies, do not believe it. They were not off with the fairies. They were off with the angels. They were dreaming of dreams that were really possible. They were dreaming of this sort of thing, biblical dreams, longing for the scriptural promises of God to come to pass. They were looking for the end of the exile. They were looking for the end of being separated from the Lord. They were looking for a brand new start for God's people. Now let me ask you, where do you go when your mind drifts? When you're off with the fairies, as we say. When you're longing for something better, what goes on in your head then? What do you think about? What are your hopes for 2020 and beyond? You know, those hopes I asked you to grab hold of at the beginning. Are you dreaming of a sun-kissed beach? Getting a good tan? A lottery win to make life easier? Better health to take all the struggles out of life? Well, that'd be nice. Do you dream of love, of of meeting Mr. or Miss Wright? Or maybe it's a career advancement, a bigger house, a faster car. Is that what fills your mind in those times when you're just off with it? Maybe you're drifting off now. Come back. Or maybe this is a better question. If you're the praying sort, and I know lots of you here, if not most of you here, and I hope you are the praying sort, what are your prayers primarily about? Do you pray about this nation seeing a spiritual revival? Thousands of people returning to the Lord? Churches being full to the rafters? Not just 35 people, but hundreds in every church? Do you long for people to be saved and brought into a glorious relationship with God to enjoy him now and forever, just as we've been singing about in the the higher throne with him forever? Do you want to see Christians growing in Christ that we become more and more the people we should be? Now, do you see the difference Holidays, property, career advancement. Or this nation returning to Christ and churches being full and being, being transformed. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, which may well have been on telly, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you'll have all seen them, but they might have been on telly over Christmas, I mean. Of course, he wasn't just an author of children's books. He was an Oxford don, brilliant mind. Many of you will know that and will have read some of his, some of his things. He wrote these words. 
It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. See what uh, Lewis is saying? See what a challenge that is? Sometimes we think, oh, my, I've got real strong passions for things. My passions are too strong. No, no, no. Lewis says, no, no, your passions aren't strong enough. They're not big enough. In fact, you, you're passionate about incidental things, about the trinkets of this life. You're dreaming about this and that, and things that, at the end of the day, don't matter that much. It's like wanting to make mud pies in a slum when you could be... There's so much more at stake, do you see? Now, Simeon and Anna are brilliant examples. One-track mind people. They were focused on and they dedicated their lives to seeing the big promises and purposes and plans of God fulfilled. They wanted to see the redemption of Jerusalem and the world. They, they were looking forward to the day the Messiah returned to God's holy city, Jerusalem. They had big plans and they lived their lives for those things. And on this day, the day recorded in Luke chapter two, it began to come to pass. It began to happen for them. The hopes and fears of all their years were met in this child. Verse 22, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Jerusalem and to the temple. And so for Simeon and Anna, as it says at the beginning of chapter two, in the year that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, the year when Quirinius was governor of Syria, in that year for Simeon and Anna, their hopes were realized or just began to be realized. And the prophecy of Isaiah 52 began to be up began to be fulfilled. And as Mary and Joseph took Jesus into Jerusalem in Luke chapter two, Simeon and Anna's hopes were beginning to be realized. And here's the thing. Simeon and Anna had their whole lives driven by the promises and prophecies of the scriptures. And that's why ultimately they would not be disappointed. I love these words of, of, of Simeon, verse 29 some of you older saints will know we used to call this the nunc dimittis. I think that's Latin. Somebody can tell me what it means afterwards. But um, you'll, you'll know these words. Look, verse 29. Uh, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now do you see that verse 29 particularly? You now dismiss your servant in peace. He's an old man and he's basically saying, I'm ready to die. I am now at peace. And why was this old man ready to die? Why was he so at peace with himself and with his God? Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. That is Simeon's description of Jesus. My eyes have seen Jesus. My eyes have seen salvation. It's what his name means. That's why they called him Jesus. It means saviour. And so here was uh, Jesus come to save people from their sins. And so Simeon says, that's what I've been waiting for all my life. Now I'm ready to die. Two things as we draw to a close. First, we can be ready to die because of the work of Jesus Christ. Many of you will know this, but some of you won't. 
So just bear with me for a moment. It was, um, it was just before Christmas, about seven years ago. I can't remember exactly, seven or eight years ago. I met a woman for the first time. I'm going to call her Deborah. It wasn't her name, but I'll call her Deborah. Deborah was dying. She had cancer. It was advanced. It was all over her body. And uh, somebody asked me to go and see her. In fact, she asked to see a minister, and so I was asked to go and see her. Never met her before. And uh, she was very honest with me. She told me that throughout her life, she'd had very little to do with God. But she wanted to talk to me because she believed that God, she'd always believed God was there, just hadn't had much to do with him. And in her words, she said, um, she wasn't ready to meet him. I'm not ready to meet my maker, is what she said. And she told me that she knew, the reason she knew she wasn't ready to meet her maker was because she was indebted to God. Again, her phrase, I'm in, in debt. I'm indebted to God. And she talked about the wonderful life she'd enjoyed. She talked about her family and, and her travels. She's an amazing woman. She'd been all over the world. And she talked about for 80 years her exceptional health. She wasn't well now, but for 80 years, she just never had anything wrong with her. And she said to me, all of this has come from God, I know. I, I owe him. How do I pay him back? I wonder what you'd say to her. I'll tell you what I told her. I don't know if I did the right thing, but I'll tell you what I told her. The first thing I told her was that her debt to God was bigger than she could imagine. That was encouraging, wasn't it? You really want me to come and meet you on your deathbed, don't you? I talked about Jesus and how he'd left the splendor of heaven and come down to rescue us on earth. And I talked to her about the way we all fail to live as we should, how we ignore God, how we hurt others, how we actually even shun Jesus, the one who came to save us. And Deborah said to me, so I'm in more debt than I ever realised. And I said, yeah. And then, I, and then she said, well, then I'm doomed. I can't possibly pay that back. I don't have time. See, for Deborah, the, that moment was like having a credit card bill delivered in January. Having had a terrific time over Christmas, eating, drinking, giving elaborate presents, partying, eating out most of the, the most expensive restaurants, buying everything you ever wanted for everybody you ever loved, and then the bill arrives, and it's so huge you can't pay it. You can't even pay it off in instalments, it's just too big. And actually for Deborah, she didn't have enough time to pay, she didn't have the money, she didn't have time to pay it off in instalments. And she got that, and then I said to Deborah, but that's the whole point. That's exactly why Jesus came. He came to pay the debt. He didn't pay it by getting out his wallet and splashing the cash. He paid it by dying on the cross for you because he loves you. I said it cost him everything, but that's how precious you are to him. He loves you enough to die for you. And Deborah said, that's what I want. And we prayed together and she received Jesus Christ. And I said to Deborah, I'll come back in a couple of days time and we can talk some more. But I never went back because she died before I was able to. And her family, who were believers, told me she departed in peace. See, Simeon, verse 29. Now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. She was at peace with God, and she went to be with her Lord. We can be ready to die because of the work of Christ. Now, some of you don't yet know that for yourself. And if that is you tonight, tonight is the time to get right with God. And uh, if you know that's you, then uh, I'm going to be standing in the back and I've got a booklet that I'd love to give you and it will tell you how you can be right with God. And uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to head into 2020 thinking whatever happens, 
even if the worst happens, I can depart in peace, peace with my God. Here's the second thing, probably for the majority of us. Second, we can be ready to die because we've aligned our life with the work of Christ. You see, Simeon knew he could die in peace, a peaceful man, first because the salvation that Jesus Christ had brought him because Jesus had paid the debt, what we've just been thinking about, but also because he lived his life according to God's promises. And Anna was exactly the same. For 84 years, devoted herself to praying and fasting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She didn't slack off. Even when she received a telegram from the queen, even when she was 100 years old, she didn't retire from God's service. She kept going, you see. She was committed to bringing her life's goals and aims and actions in line with God's big aims and actions for the world. And so Simeon and Anna are great examples to us. And it really is a great way to live your life. Because when we get to the end of our lives and look back, if we've put our lives in line with God's great purposes, when we get to the end of our lives, we've got no regrets. And you see, um, 2020 is the first year of the rest of our lives so you might have a few regrets you haven't really lived for him, but go from now, go for it from now, and you'll go, I lived the rest of my life really well. But it won't be true if you live for anything else. See, there are two pro- problems when we set our sights on other things, on our career or world travel or big house or whatever else it is, whatever it is. Here's the first problem, we might not actually get them. I see, again, I've met loads of people on their deathbed and um, they haven't quite got where they wanted to get to, didn't reach the heights in their career. There's always a higher rung to get to, isn't there? Um, they didn't travel everywhere they wanted to travel. There's always somewhere else to go to if the world travels your thing. Didn't have enough money. You always want some more money. Barry Humphreys, who is uh, better known as Dame Edna Everidge, some of you won't have a clue who that is, but anyway, there is his autobiography. And uh, in the very first uh, few pages, it opens with these words. I always wanted more. I never had enough milk or money or socks or sex or holidays or first editions or solitude or gramophone records or free meals or real friends or guiltless pleasure or neckties or applause or unquestioning love. Of course, he says, I've had more than my share of most of these commodities, but it always left me with a vague feeling of unfulfillment. I always want more. We might not get everything we want, and, uh, but even if we do, says Barry Humphreys and lots of other people, they won't really satisfy us, and they certainly won't satisfy us on our deathbed. See, that's the second problem, reaching the end of our life and saying, so what? So what? I live for this. And actually, even if you got them, you would go, so what? what? Is that what life's all about? And so in the last 28 years of pastoral ministry, I've sat by the bedsides of many people dying and time and again, I've seen people have deep times of reflection and it's a time when they look back, a bit like the end of a year. You look back and you wonder what your life was all about if you haven't lived it for Jesus Christ. No one ever said on their deathbed, I wish I'd spent more time at the office, did they? But if we give our lives to God's plans and purposes just like Anna and Simeon did. We'll have invested things in things that not only matter, but things that are actually going to come true. We've worked for things that are going to be fulfilled. 
we'll know that on that final day, that final day that we've been singing about, actually, uh, we've invested in the most important things in the world. And when it comes our time to die, like Simeon, we'll be able to say, verse 29, now dismiss your servant in peace. I'm at peace because I look back. No, yeah, of course I've made mistakes. But largely, I've given my life to something that really matters. Now, I don't know how you feel about leaving 2019 behind, but as you head into 2020, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, do it today. And for the rest of us who've already done that, live your life wholeheartedly for him. And if you do, no regrets. You can be at peace.